In trading cards, we had all of the athletic NBA, NFL, all of their licenses. And everybody said, this is the athletic trading card business. The kids said, no, you're in the business of connecting heroes and their fans. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Frank, welcome to the show. Thanks, Max. Great to be here. You're in the States, right? I'm in Woodstock, Vermont. Yeah, so how was your uh, Thanksgiving and Black Friday and all that? Uh, it was great. We had lots of family here, little kids, lots of noise. It was perfect. Nice. Again, first off, really appreciate you coming on my podcast to share your business and career insights. I think it'd be a great value to my listeners. So for people who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little rundown of your uh, career and all the stuff that you have accomplished? Okay. And and I'll try to be brief, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Critical thing, I grew up on a farm in upstate New York. My father died when I was two and a half. I got very involved running the farm, learned entrepreneurship early, went to Cornell undergraduate and graduate school, then went to work for Carnation Company in the food business on the West Coast. Great place to uh, learn and be, you know, in a training program and running early days of instant breakfast. Then I went to Hunt Western Foods, you know, more product development. And then I made a uh, big shift. I spent quite a bit of time in the baking industry with the Division of Continental Grain. And then I jump shipped and I went to work for Mattel in the video game business. So out of baking right into the early days of video games, then started my own company in video games and went to the Silicon Valley, got Marvin Davis at 20th Century Fox Film Corporation to uh, back me. And then I went from there to HBO to run the pre-recorded video cassette business at the beginning of the whole cassette business. And then to Reebok and to oversee the development of the Reebok pump. <laughs> and then from there to do a turnaround in the trading card business call called Skybox, then to the greeting card business called Gibson Greetings, and then to uh, Parthenon in the, a senior partner in strategic planning. And now people say, what are you doing now? Well, I have a toy business. So yeah, I'm still trying to figure out, Max, what I can do, you know? So. <laughs> Actually, like it's uh, funny you touched upon the pump shoes you worked on because I had one in middle school and then I, had, I bought another pair recently as well. It's the one where you pump and then there's air in the shoe and then it tightens. It basically gives you more grip on your feet, right? Correct. correct. Yeah, they're internal bladders, so it completely form fits each one of your feet. Yes. Yeah, awesome. The thing about your story, and I think it'll be relevant to a lot of my listeners, is about your reinvention, where you reinvent yourself multiple times. You went from farm to video games, to shoes, to media. So you've really dived into a lot of industries. So with that being said, for people who are listening, who are looking to make a career change, whether it's changing roles or changing industries, how were you able to first be able to pivot into a new industry where you didn't have a lot of experience or any experience for that matter? And how were you able to take the skills that you developed to adapt into your new role so you would hit the ground running? 
Great. Well, you know, I have two millennial sons and they call me, they say, Dad, you know, you're the original millennial. Because I was making these moves when it was considered disloyal, you know, uh, as I was moving from industry to industry. You know, the key thing first was I learned pretty quickly the common denominator for me was the consumer. And, you know, fortunately for lots of reasons, I always had a great insight and stayed very close to the consumer. So every one of these businesses involved a consumer. So what I would do when I moved into another industry is, again, I was looking for where the real power was going to be someplace in new product development, going to be in consumer, going to be, you know, in marketing. And I found I could learn the industries pretty quickly. And the key was, you know, that I really knew how to understand the consumer and really spot trends. Because as you can see, a lot of those businesses, I was on the forefront of various trends. I also immediately when I would go to these new companies would go right to wherever the consumer was. So I spent a lot of time in retail stores and with customers very quickly learning and getting my own grassroots feeling for the consumer. And then, of course, I'm just a huge advocate of consumer research. So I'd either design it or if it, you know, had there were already studies, you know, I was a student always of the consumer. And that was the, the key that allowed me to move from industry to industry. What's your opinion in terms of um, consumer buying behavior? When COVID hit, like, everything was forced online, right? And yes. everybody says, oh, this is the death of retail. But as things open up, online sales are actually decreasing a little bit. Like a lot of the tech companies like Shopify, like they were very big during the pandemic because no one could go anywhere. So people would shop like e-commerce. But now as things open up, it's actually not like retail didn't actually die. It's, it's actually recovering. What's your thoughts yes. on that? Yeah. First, you know, we all went crazy during the pandemic trying to predict, oh my God, what is going to happen? Not only to just where are they going to buy, but what are they going to buy? So, you know, I've been involved with a $7 billion food company, the largest in the whole private label food business. And of course, we saw all of our volume, pasta and everything go through the roof. And everybody said, oh my God, is that all just going to fall off, you know, after the pandemic? And then like in our toy business, our business online went crazy. All those kids were home. We're all buying and their moms were all buying them toys, you know, which was great. And we all speculated like mad and did a lot of research. But there are certain things you can't predict about the consumer behavior. And sometimes they lie to you in terms of what they're going to do in the future. So, you know, I have to say over this holiday period where I've been monitoring ourselves through so carefully in our toy business, you know, our retail volume versus, you know, our online volume is up. So we're seeing, we are seeing people returning to the stores. They want to touch and feel. The other thing is, I see they want to see other people. It is an entertainment experience going into the store and shopping. But I think we've been surprised by how fast retail seems to be coming back. Yeah, exactly. Like people had to buy online because they had no choice, right? But I think people tend to be, they want to be social and you can't really be social by like going on Amazon and buying stuff. They want to go to the mall. They want to like check things out, uh, browse, talk to people. So I think a lot of 
experts for underestimating the power of humans wanting to be connected. Correct. I agree. Yeah. And when you're changing your career directory, going to different industries, different roles, when you change and go into unfamiliar territory, there is risk involved, right? Whether it's calculated risk or you're just going to just jump first, think fast, you know, plugging your book. Yeah. So how does one evaluate risk and why is risk taking so essential in order to grow? Because like, again, you were uh, quote unquote job hopping when uh, it wasn't that popular. As your uh, kids would say, you were basically the millennial back in the day. So how do you evaluate risk when it comes to making a career move? Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. You know, I do all of the research up front first. I understand if I'm going into a new business, the first thing I do is try to study what business are they really in? And frequently, you know, and sometimes I've been involved in turnarounds. They thought they were in one business. When I did the consumer research, they were in another. In trading cards, we were, we had all of the athletic NBA, NFL, all of their licenses. And everybody said, this is the athletic trading card business. I did the research the consumer told me and the kid said, no, you're in the business of connecting, you know, heroes and their fans. And that explode and that gave us a plan. We went to Hollywood. I went to Marvel. I went to DC comic books and that it totally exploded. Now I'll use a different example of when I went to Gibson greeting. So it's the smaller, it's sandwiched in between, you know, the Hallmark and American Greetings, two big companies. And, you know, it was getting squeezed. Sometimes when I go in, part of what I tried to do is it's actually shifting a whole industry. And what I found through the consumer research was, you know, you know, life had changed and demographics had changed. There was a lot of the population that still didn't want all the old syrupy verse pink cards. I mean, you had young people, you had 50% divorce rates, you had lots of children who had four grandparents, and there weren't really proper cards and messages for them. And I also found I had 150 people doing graphics and writing verse in the company. I really eliminated all of them. And I went on the internet and started sourcing totally different, you know, people who, you know, millennials and people who live there and understood the humor to write and do, you know, graphics. Then we also found that our printing was obsolete. We had our own printing presses, 500 people. And I found that, you know, printing was, you know, obsoleting itself about every three or four years. And, I, and we weren't getting the quality and the new digital stuff. So I got rid of our own internal printing presses and went to the outside. We could, to digital, we could change much faster, get much higher quality, etc. So that's kind of an example, you know, where you go into an industry and a company and you make some pretty radical kind of changes, which are definitely risky, you know, because they're, they're major when you do this. So, When you go into a new company and you want to make radical changes, as you mentioned, it's going to be pushed back from like people that have done it in a certain way for a number of years. So as my listeners who are in leadership roles, and let's say they go into a new company and they want to make some changes, there might be a lot of pushback yeah. from other workers, uh, other leadership members of the team. What's your suggestion in terms of getting buy-in from everybody to yeah. let them know that this is the right approach if we want to stay competitive in the market? First thing I do is 
develop a strategic plan. And frequently, if the company's pretty good size, I'll bring in an outside firm, consulting firm, who's an expert in strategic strategy, like the Parthenon Group has been with me through many of these companies. And we put together a plan. You know, so we study the industry, we study our position in the industry, what the trends are, and then we start idea generating an alternative growth strategies because that's all about growth. So what are the alternative strategies? And then we came, we come up with a way of being able to evaluate each one of those strategies. Now, during that whole process, I involved the management team. It, so it's not like hiring a consulting company, you develop a brilliant strategic plan, and then dump it on the management team. Okay. So they would work with me all the way through the process. And then we would take it to the entire organization. I would be frequently the presenter. You know, I would put everybody in the cafeteria right down to the production floor and say, look, Here's why we've got to make changes. We are not going to grow if we continue to do what we're going to do. Then the next thing is, of course, you make everybody accountable by giving them metrics for the plan that you know, you're going to hold them to. But then, quite frankly, I do an assessment of the team and lower the organization. There's going to be a group that's going to follow you and believe in the new plan. They'll do everything to make it work. Then there's a group that is not going to change. And incidentally, it's one of my theories I've learned. Incumbents seldom turn companies around or they would have done it. Okay. So I then identify the people that are resistant. And if they're vocal, you know, we basically say, look, we take them out of the company or we coach them out of the company because if their detractors will drain your batteries and the rest of the organization starts to focus on them, then the group you got to focus on is the group in the middle are kind of sitting on the fence trying to see if the new plan is going to work. And those are the ones I normally work on, you know, the most intently to get them to see that the plan, get them to take responsibility and see if the plan is working. But I'm also, in today's environment, you better be very agile. So we used to develop a strategic plan. Oh, we'd review it once a year. You now need to view it every three months. And if things don't work, you've got to be agile and willing to make major changes quickly. But as you can see, the key is not just having a great plan. You got to get the whole, the end. in some cases, you're missing the talent. So I would bring on new talent as well. But you've got to get the organization behind you. You've got to get the right people in place. So we live in a digital world, as you know, and a lot of people want instant gratification. So when it comes to like implementing new tactics and strategies, how do you know if it's not actually working or if you haven't tested it long enough to get the results? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Testing is an interesting word. <laughs> when I was with Carnation and grew up in a highly disciplined environment for new products, we tested everything and we tested concepts and then advertising. I mean, I used to be involved with watching eye camera tests on new commercials for new products. We did test markets and all that. No time for that any longer. I mean, you've got to move much more quickly. So, we're much more on what I call the air correct side. Okay. So yes, but we measure, but we're on the move and we're implementing the strategy as we're measuring and seeing if it's working. If it isn't, we'll clip off and stop pieces 
you know, and we'll shift to new areas. We have all the metrics, all the consumer metrics we track all the way through, but we don't have the time anymore to do test markets, you know, and a lot of the stuff I really grew up with. <laughs> now we're in the marketplace and we're very flexible in the marketplace. Great. The one thing you were talking about is buy-in from people to agree with the new vision or strategy of the company. And one of the themes that you have done throughout your story, your career story, is the relationships that you have built. A lot of professionals, especially ones that are coming up, they focus more on working hard to get noticed. But there is another aspect of it, which is building relationships. So can you walk us through your experience in building relationships to uh, get, generate you the opportunities that you have uh, gained in your career? Sure. Yes. You know, the most fortunate thing that can happen to you early on in your career is that you get a good mentor, you know, and hopefully that mentor is actually in the company and somebody who sees your potential and works with you. The other, I'll call them supporters, okay, people that are supporting your growth in your career and ultimately are willing to take risks by putting you in positions where you're going to develop much faster and also an environment that doesn't penalize people for failures that said, okay, that didn't work. You go ahead. Let's try something else. But the personal relationship, I would say almost all of my major moves to other companies or promotions came through someone who I did develop a very personal relationship with and knew me very, very well and said, Frank, you know, mindset over skill set. You know, we have faith in you. We're going to take a risk. I'm going to. And the big break for me was a, a fellow by the name of Bob Kirby in the baking business who gave me the crack at my first general manager job running a whole operation in the Northwest bakeries hundreds of people, complex operation, and that put me on a whole new plateau. But again, so much is relationship. So I encourage everyone, I understand the internet, the power of the internet, whatever, but particularly when you get into recruiting for jobs and making those switches is make find and make personal conduct and continue to develop and hang on to those over time because you'll be very surprised how you're going to come back someplace in your career and need them. So Obviously, uh, online job boards uh, didn't exist when you started your career. So can you walk us through like how you got those opportunities that you did mention briefly, but how did you like pivot from like going to Reebok or HBO, all those companies? Number one, I'll say one of the ca major cows was reputation. So early on, you know, I got known right, wrong or indifferent. I got known as a marketing expert, a really creative person who thought out of the box and someone who was very strategic in my thinking. And if I can say anything, it is, you know, why everybody else is wallowing around in tactics, try even early in your career, try to get above all of that and think strategically and also know ask the, you know, ask the right questions. But, you know, a lot of that movement is a company needed a new strategic direction. And I kind of got to be known as the, as the strategic creative guy, um, and also could attract good management talent. So that was 
critical part of all of those movements. So the one thing about online now with social media is about building your personal brand. Like that's a big thing right now in the career space. Many people just want to apply online for jobs, get the job and then work the job. They don't want to like build a reputation, build a personal brand. Where do you see the career development phase go into the next few years? Do you think that personal brand is a fad or do you think that everybody needs to build a personal brand if they want to get the opportunities that they want uh, in their career? Yeah, I know. I'm a big fan of building your personal brand, you know, in this current environment and in the future environment. So, you know, part of the of that is get to be known for something where you're can be viewed as an, you know, an expert, you know, and it may not be, but, you know, I've seen directly work related, you know, maybe in something else that you're doing or you're started or, you know, athleticism or something else, but, you know, get to be known as an expert. And then really, you know, you want to keep building your experiences and getting your ideas out online. Try to come up with profound thinking, <laughs> you know, but I, and I think, you know, for example, I just, someone just asked me to read a very young woman in her career, in her first job, her LinkedIn. And she had really, I, I've got to say, she had really perfected being able to express who she was and what's different about her. And that's another critical thing. I always, when I'm on the other side and I'm interviewing, you know, I always say, okay, lots of people come to me with great resumes, with great academics, you know, they've perfected the resume writing technique. <laughs> I say, tell me in five lines, what is different and unique about you? Part of that is I encourage early on, who are you? Who really are you? Do you really know yourself? The trick in life is we can see everybody else. We can't see ourselves. Are you just following the herd coming out of school? You know, have you really thought about what companies and what your fit for you, you know, really is? And then I want to see that you're genuine. So that's all. And can you express that somehow as your personal come out and express that as your personal brand? So going to that, obviously throughout your career, you've hired a lot of people. I don't want to dive into the technical aspect of like how to answer interview questions, but from a personality perspective, you did touch upon this just now. What are you really looking for when you interview people and how do you select the uh, right hire for that role? Now, certainly we're looking for good, you know, strong, basic intelligence and, but much more what I'm looking for now is somebody who is flexible who's got the right mindset, who can learn quickly, who's flexible, who can work with others, who is adaptable and can switch, you know, quickly. I'll tell you the other thing. I have a bias and my bias is humor and fun. So I also <laughs> look for, is this person, you know, I say, be fun, have fun. People want to work with people who are positive and are fun-loving. So I kind of, I try to look for that sense of humor in there. L let me give you one other little, this will be very different. Flipping on the other side, when I'm coaching people going into the interview, I find I have one thing that's very different that they seldom get from anybody else, is 
what you want to do is leave the interviewer feeling better about themselves than when you walked into the interview. People hire people that are like them, much more like them. They that were humans. So I say, as quickly as you can, try to learn something. Make sure you do your research on who the interviewer is and their background and what their hooks are, etc. But then ask them just a couple of key questions. Why did you join the company? Tell me just a little about you've had a great career. If you start with that with an interviewer, <laughs> telling them they've had a great career, you and then they start letting you know what they think is really important. And you can then start to steer into that in the interview. But if they walk away from that interview somehow feeling better about themselves, then, you know, you've got a much better chance. You made a good point for, about like people want to work with people they like, right? A lot of professionals, they focus so much on their expertise and how they can deliver value that they completely forget about trying to build connection rapport with the interviewer. So they cover both bases. They cover their expertise and that they'd be a good person to work with on the team. A lot of people forget this, the latter part of that. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. Thing. How can you add value to the company? The one thing is make sure, do your homework on that company inside and out. I mean, the worst is I've had people come to me and when I start to feel I'm explaining basics about the company that they don't know, then they haven't done their homework. And I'd say, oops, tilt, you know, they didn't have enough interest to really do it. And what really impresses me when I'm in the consumer products business, somebody walks in, well, let's say it's a food category and, you know, they've studied the company. And then if they told me, you know, last week I visited 15 stores and looked at your product, bingo, do something above and beyond what most people do just sitting in front of the computer. Yeah, exactly. Like if you say what you know about the company and you just briefly talk about the products, it's not going to be as impactful as you like going into their store or testing their product because then you're really immersed into it, right? I think the saying, uh, lack of research shows a lack of interest. Yes, I agree. Yes. And again, a lot of my uh, listeners fall into the like entry-level middle management stage. Some of these uh, professionals, high achievers, and they're looking to become CEO or C-suite or somewhere in a very high level executive leadership position at the company that they want to work for. So with that being said, what are some skills that you recommend someone develop now so they will be ready for that role when that time comes? You know, it's a little hard to express, but it's definitely leadership and the ability to clearly express a concept or a path or a direction, you know, and that comes under the category is no matter what, you're always going to be selling. So can you be very influential in presenting, you know, a point of view and getting people to, you know, agree with you and follow you? So the other skill I will mention is, and I've been fortunate here, the ability to be able in a group to speak and present a very strong and perhaps different point of view, or to be able to ask an, a wildly insightful question when everybody else is in the fray of, the, again, tactical stuff. If you can just drop back and ask, you're not arguing with anybody or anything that's been presented, is to you know, 
ask at the end an insightful question. And I normally also learned as a young person, speak last. Then you hear what everybody else has had to say. They don't feel like they're competing with you, you know, and then you can present that killer insight. <laughs> what are the, but that's uh, critical going forward. You've got to get people, convince people to follow you. Yeah. Uh, hey, let, me, let me mention one other one. This oh, is sure. extremely important and always is I'm very big on performance reviews and feedback, et cetera. But convincing people that work for you that you care about their personal development and that in your reviews, you have a plan for their personal development to me now is absolutely critical. So when somebody walks into my office, I always establish I'm first concerned about you and your personal development. Let's talk about that. Then let's talk about the company and the fit. Okay, for sure. And one of the things I wanted to bring up was the, you talk about like speaking last, right? But some professionals have a problem speaking up. Like if let's say they're in a group meeting, people are talking and they want to add in their two cents, but they're nervous in terms of like interrupting. So how do you um, establish that confidence where you can speak up and people are willing to listen to you? <laughs> well, it is does develop into a talent, but I think if you can start early taking that risk, you'll start to gain confidence. And then the people around you will also, you'll suddenly start to find that if you're in those comments, you're really adding value. I, one of the things I learned was along in my career, suddenly when I spoke, the room was very quiet. And I knew that's when I had them, you know, <laughs> that they were really intently listening to my point of view. And it is definitely a skill, but you just have got to take the risks early on. And you'll make mistakes. There's no, you'll speak at the wrong time or everybody will jump on you or whatever. You just have to get used to, you have to get used to that, you know, but you'll start to develop that skill of being able to speak. And I always say, speak clearly, be very articulate. The other thing is, you know, I've raised tons and tons of money. Passion is for the product and the company goes a long way. So if they can see and understand your passion when you're making your comments, you know, you're not talking about you, but you're talking about the company and the product and the future, then people see your heart's in the right spot. Going back to sort of like making mistakes and taking risks, a lot of professionals, especially the ones that are coming up, they're very risk averse. They want to be perfect, right? They don't want to make mistakes. Uh, they fear failure. So like, what's some advice that you can give in regards to getting out of that like perfectionism mindset and making mistakes? Because they're, everybody's worried about making a mistake and then feeling like a failure and then might yeah. look down upon, they might get passed off for promotions. So like, there's a lot going on with that. So what are some encouraging words or advice that you can provide in terms okay. of like, it's okay to make mistakes? Well, you know, I'll say now in my book, you know, jump first, think fast. What's unique is I think about it is, you know, I just don't tell people do this one, two, three, you know, and four. I read all those books, you know, on that. Mine is all based on my personal experiences and situations. And I go through my failures as well as my successes and then how I came out of that. And of course, what I learned was that basically 
you know, coming out of each one of those, I never ended up worse off on any one of those failures, either inside a company or if I got fired, you know, I always ended up with a, you know, a better job. And everybody kids me used to call it falling forward, you know? So in sometimes you just got to get the experiences of having a few of the failures and then recovering and you'll quickly and you'll see, God, you get on a different, you know, plane or plateau. The biggest thing is you gain self-confidence in yourself. That's the critical part. That's the piece you don't want to ever have damaged. So I'll tell you when people, when I'm interviewing and people come to me and in their resume, you know, some there's, you know, failures. First, I like it because we're going to hit a lot of challenges. It develops grit and understanding and an ability to deal with adversity. So I like that there are failures in there. The main thing I will look for is they quickly tell me, yes, I didn't succeed and here's why. And then we move on. What I don't want them to do is keep talking about the failure or justification that somebody else is at fault. You know, I was figure I was at fault. You know, I want to make sure that it didn't damage their self-confidence. That's the most critical part. You're speaking about like getting fired. Have you ever had a failure that was so bad that you ended up getting fired? And if so, like, how did you recover from that? Yeah, it's not, you know, in the case, you know, Reebok is, of course, everybody studies that as an interesting one because I had developed the pump. I had a brand new three-year contract, um, had just been given to me. And Paul Fireman, the founder, had been out of the company with health issues, came back in. And I had put in a professional management team. He basically took out the whole professional management team and went back to, he was an entrepreneur with no large company experience. He was just uncomfortable with the team. And there's one where I failed to really build a relationship with him. Of course, he was in Florida playing golf a good deal of the time, you know, but that was a high profile failure situation. But then, you know, I went to, Skybox that had lost $80 million and we did an incredible turnaround, took it public and everybody, you know, made tons of money. So you got to just move on to the next situation. So one of the things that is very important in someone's career is to be yourself, like be authentic, do work that aligns with your values. But a lot of people end up chasing extrinsic rewards, like higher salary, bigger title, all that stuff, but not really staying true to who they are. So how do you find something that you're genuinely interested in? And how do you like show case your full self at work without worry about being judged? Okay. The first goes back to know yourself. And I'm dealing with not a lot of people early in their career, but I'm doing now a lot of, you know, kind of coaching with people in the middle of their career, making career path changes. And what they really didn't do was get a clean, a very clean assessment on who they are, what their strengths are, weaknesses are, and identifying, you know, identifying their passions. So, you know, that to me is such a critical starting place in terms of finding out what is the right environment for you really to succeed and being selective on really, you know, finding that path. So, Great. We've briefly touched upon your book, Jump First, Think Fast. 
Why don't you tell us more about like the significance of the title? What made you want to write this book? And what are some valuable points that you want people to take away from the book if they end up purchasing and reading it? Okay. Yeah. The reason I wrote it was first, you know, I, I've been fortunate. I, I've had a very exciting career. I've also moved 20 times back and forth across the country. You know, I've led either as president or CEO, 10 companies in totally different industries. And what I found was that just like the questions you're asking me, people became mesmerized with how did I make all of these? How did I make all of these changes from industry to industry and situation and working through successes? you know, and failures, in particular, my two millennial sons, I would find they would bring these young people to the house, we'd have dinner, and all of a sudden, we'd be into this conversation. And then they'd say, Dad, could you help so and so and so and so, you know, in terms of their own career path. So, you know, I did four years ago, a 250 page outline, where I just wrote all the stories, it's all stories about my career. But what it is, is basically to encourage people to take risks. Again, I, I'm a believer that most people only use about 30% of their life because they aren't taking risks to develop totally, personally, professionally, etc. And then the other part, it really is mentoring. So it is a book that indirectly mentors, but through my, you know, through my experiences. So my sole, whole goal on this is, one, to write a book that's fun and entertaining, <laughs> you know, and not preaching, you know, but where inadvertently now, as I'm getting all the feedback, people say, whoa, you know, and people work for me and pass it, Frank, I never forgot this term or that term in this direction or what you, you know, et cetera. I've incorporated that into my style. So, you know, that my reason for writing it is really hopefully you leave something as, you know, a mentorship, you know. And again, it's unusual. A lot of people don't write about their failures as well. <laughs> and there's a lot to be learned from that. And you're going to have them, you know, if you're trying hard enough, you're going to have them. So and you ask me some other things, you know, I have some mantras, you know, and, and my mantra is smile, <laughs> use, you know, humor. You know, I use it a lot to diffuse difficult situations and to get, you know, think back on the human side. And if you're doing entrepreneurship or anything else, you have got to be enthusiastic and stay forever positive. It will just keep you in mentally in such good stead. I, I'll mention uh, one other thing is that physically staying healthy. I work out seven days a week and I've done it my entire career totally consistently it just starts you in the morning in a much healthier you know spot and keep your body healthy and then you know my last one is be fun have fun yeah like just going back to the health thing right a lot of people focus so much on trying to build their careers they neglect their health and then when they make all that money they have to reinvest it in their health because they neglected their health over the years yes yeah. So Frank, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on my podcast to share about your career experiences, your book. I think a lot of listeners will get a lot of value if they choose to purchase it. I wanted to end this conversation with one last question that I asked all my guests. As you know, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges. So for you, 
you do have a very elaborate career story. So what has been one big challenge that you had to overcome in your career to get to where you are today? I'll tell you a very personal one. When I went to Cornell, I was 18 years old. I had my first child in my first semester. Two years later, I had a second child. So it was God going on and double registering and getting a master's with two young children. Okay. And then I was married for about six years. I got into my career and my first wife decided that she didn't want to be married to a junior executive and move all over the country. So that was a big, you know, then dealing with that, a divorce situation and raising your children and moving all over. That was the biggest, you know, that was the biggest challenge. And then, of course, I was very fortunate to have met my current wife. We've had a wonderful extended family. We've raised actually the two children from my first marriage as well as our two children. That was a challenge. Actually, let's touch upon this quickly. What's some advice we have when it comes to like relationships and career? Like what's something that you wish you knew when you were younger? Okay. Well, let me say the first thing is in that balance, the most important you decision you'll probably ever make is really the choice of a partner because you're frequently going to have, you know, at least two careers, you're, you know, or two really important lives that you've really got to bring to together that are not going to always be balanced, you know, et cetera. So to me, that choice is critically important. And incidentally, what I used to do when somebody would get fired and would call me and they hadn't gone home, I said, go home tonight, you and your partner, take a piece of paper, each write down your five important goals now in life. It could be spiritual. Yes, it could be money, family, whatever. Then flip them over. That is going to give you the most valuable discussion you're ever going to have and figure out then where does career and job fit into those. Great. Again, I appreciate the time, Frank. So how can people go purchase your book? And if there's any other things that you want to share with my audience, feel free to do so. Okay. It's jumpfirstthinkfast.com. We'll tell you the bookstores and how to get the book or on Amazon now. It just is available in the audible form, you know, as well. So that is, uh, you know, another way to get it. You know, I think my final piece of advice probably in this crazy, crazy environment that none of us have ever seen before or going through, I think you just got to stay hopeful and positive. I'm, you know, I'm very positive. I get all these questions on the economy and what's going on, you know, and I say, you know, all the corporate environment that I am and I'm dealing with China and all other countries is very healthy. <laughs> you know, we're actually doing very, very well. So I'm saying, yeah, you got to be optimistic and hopeful. And then also particularly for young people, do what you can to change it and make it even more positive. Yeah, absolutely. Again, there's a lot of things going on right now, like discussion about the recession and all that, but you can't really control that, but you can control your actions and you can get the outcome you want based off the actions you take. Correct. Yes. Great. Again, I appreciate the time and all the best for the rest of the year. To you as well. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time. Thank you.